pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Tyler. I lead our downtown congregation. Um, This is the last week of a little short series we've done over the last couple of weeks that hopefully has been impactful for you. Um, It's called Set Apart. The whole thing we've been doing is what does it mean for us if you're a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, if you're here, what does it mean for the people of God to be the people of God? And so I've just been hitting just three weeks of, of worship two weeks ago, justice last week, and this week we're looking at what does it mean for us as a people to be set apart in our work, in our work. Now, I'm excited to teach this to you because work is such a big part of your life. It's so much of what you do, but we can honestly sometimes in the church talk about it so rarely. Like, even if you're in school right now and you're studying, that, that is your job, or maybe you're working on the side to afford to pay for school. I want you to know the thing that you do for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, I really want you to know that's what God created you to do. God created us to work, that in a very real way, you have been called by God to your industry. In a very real way, you've been called by God to your field and your profession. But in the church, the only work we really talk about God calling people into, typically, is pastoral ministry. Often, like no one ever says this, but the underlying narrative is that it's pastors like me who are called into their vocation. That while the people of God all may be equally loved by God, that certain people get callings into ministry and other people get consigned to less important jobs. And what happens in that narrative is it creates, without realizing it, this sort of false, secular, sacred divide that doesn't really exist. And so what you hear is there's a sacred world that God cares so much about that he calls people into And there's a secular world that he cares less about and no one gets calling into that world. I want you to know that simply isn't true. Now there is a distinct calling into pastoral ministry primarily based on the nature of what pastoral ministry is and based on the requirements needed to be a pastor. If you wanna read that, 1 Timothy 3, one through seven, will teach you the distinction in the calling, but hear me. That does not mean, it does not follow that there are no other callings from God on other vocations. When you read the Bible, when you read the scriptures, God calls people to all different types of vocations. So for instance, Jerusalem was in shambles. They had no wall because in that day, if a city didn't have a wall, it wasn't really a city, there was no protection. So God calls Nehemiah not to go preach, but to rally people for a project to be a project manager and rally people to build this wall to protect God's people. God wanted to save his people from destruction, so he called Esther, and she used her sway with the king and political savvy to save her people and stop injustice. When God wanted to build his tabernacle where he would dwell with the people of Israel in the wilderness, he didn't call Moses to make it, he called artists to make it. It's fascinating, in the Old Testament, one of the the first people other than Moses, to have the Holy Spirit rest on them for a task set in front of them are craftsmen, are artists. You see in the scriptures, God calls people to all sorts of professions and all sorts of ways. I want you to know God's vision for work and vocation is bigger than pastoral ministry. The vast majority of you, God's going to call into fields and industries outside of the church, and that's a good thing. That's a godly thing. 
God is the one who's gonna call you and place you to be an engineer. Call you and place you to trade stock or be in education or politics or developing software or creating music or staying at home with your children and on and on it could go all the jobs represented in this room. His vision is massive for it and there's purpose in it. So I'm gonna give you just really quickly three aspects of work in this sermon. God's creation of it, how sin affects it, and how Jesus redeems it. How God creates it, how sin affects it, how Jesus redeems it. And if you want more information, I would highly recommend um, Austin Stone Pope, Tim Keller. Um, He has a book, (laughs) if he wrote it, just read it. Um, It's called Every Good Endeavor. Every Good Endeavor, it's about work. It's a phenomenal resource. I'd recommend you read it. So go ahead, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we're gonna start. I want you to see work is rooted in God's character. It's rooted in God's character. So Genesis 1, 1 through 4, you've heard these verses before most likely. Here's what the word of God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Look back at verse 2. It says, the earth was without form and void. Without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The idea in creation is God is the one creating and molding and cultivating a physical world from nothing. From nothing. He takes a world that has no form and is void, and the idea of darkness over the face of the deep, the idea is there's chaos. And God comes in like a master craftsman, and he comes in and he turns chaos into patterns and rhythm and beauty and usefulness. And as you read the creation account, the creation narrative, what is fascinating is as God makes things, what you begin to understand is in his work, he does two things. He takes joy in his work and he serves others in his work. He takes joy in it and he serves other people. Genesis 1.31, when God finishes creation, it said, and God saw everything that he had made. So God is looking, in a sense, he's looking at what he had made and says, and behold, it was very good. He's enjoying his work. He's relishing in his work. It wasn't a begrudging process for him. He was delighting in making what he made and doing the work he wanted to do. And he does it for joy and for service. He does it for the service of other people. Look at Genesis 1.22. God's speaking to the animals. He says, and God blessed them. Talking to the animals, God blessed them, speaking, saying to them, and then Genesis 1:28, talking to humanity. And God blessed them. And God said to them, he's saying, this is for you. This creation is for you. This is service to you. God's saying, I don't need this. This is not for my benefit. This is for your benefit. God in himself is completely content and happy. His work is in service to you. His work is in service to his creation. So God himself, in a sense, is a worker. He's creating, he's molding, he's accomplishing. So when he makes men and women to reflect what he is like, to reflect his image, what does he make them like? Workers. Workers like him. Work is at the core of what it means to be human. Work is at the core of what it means to be human. You were not just made to sit around all day and do nothing. You were made to create and build and accomplish. Listen, work was not given as a consequence of sin, but it's part of the goodness of creation. 
Hear me. Work was not given as a consequence of sin, but it was woven into the fabric of the goodness of creation. Genesis 2, 15. This is before sin. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. The reason he was there was for the purpose of work. And then Genesis 2, 18, he needs someone to help him accomplish this task. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. His wife, Eve, is not just a helper who does whatever he says. That's not the idea. The idea is there's a mission in front of him. He can't accomplish it on his own. It's not good for him to be by himself, both relationally and for the mission set before him. And what's fascinating, the very first job that God gives to humanity is not preacher. It's not pastor. It's gardener. It's working with your hands. God calls the first humans into a vocation of shaping the physical world for the benefit of the image bearers they will create. That's what God created work to be, a joy for you in service to other people. But then what happens? Sin came into the world, so God creates it, sin affects it. When we rebelled against God, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin comes in. Of all the different things that God could curse, it's important you understand that when we sinned, curse came because God spoke it because of what we did. But of all the different things he could directly address, one of the main ones is work. Because Adam and Eve had been given two jobs to do. Fill the earth with image bearers and cultivate and subdue it. And then God says, once sin enters in, here's what he says. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I want to stop right there. The reason he's saying that, that was the job and task they were given to do that she played a primary role in. It's not saying women should only bear children. What he's saying is I've given you a mission, I've given you a job, and now because of sin, it's going to get much, much more difficult. Then he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That is saying there's gonna be all sorts of discord in marriage now. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Do you see how much God cares about creation and our role in it? He says it's so important that when you rebel against me, It's cursed because of you. He says, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. What was going to be joy and service and only fruitfulness, now you're gonna see that work is marked by futility. Thorns and thistles will come to you instead of the produce that you're after. And you shall eat the plants of the field And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He's saying sin came in and it corrupted work. So work is no longer in sin characterized by joy and service, but by pain and selfishness and futility. Here's what happens. When you lose God, all of his gifts lose their vitality. When you lose God, all the gifts that he gives to you, they no longer function and operate the way they're meant to. I remember when my very first job, so all of us have had, kind of had experiences like this where you realize work is broken. My very first job as a 16 year old, I had the very stark experience to realize a oh, work has fallen from grace. So my, I was 16, first job, I worked at a veterinarian clinic, okay? And here was the, the gist of my job. Sit in the back with the animals in the cages and take care of them. Whatever they need, that's my job. 
So you could imagine with 50 or so dogs and cats and just them hanging out in cages doing what they do, I was called upon a lot to clean up a lot of things. And in the very back was a groomer. And so the, my, my life was the smell of dogs and cats and all that and, and groomer uh, chemicals. And so the whole time I was basically nauseous. And then what would happen is my boss was not a nice person. So I remember one of my first things she asked me to do, there's a family there with their dogs. Is Tyler, pick the dog up. I was like, okay, here we go. And it's like an 80 pound dog. I pick it up. I'm like shaking, trying to hold this thing. She goes, you're holding it wrong. I was like, I don't know how to hold an 80 pound dog or what I'm supposed to do. So she chastises me. So I'm thinking, this, she's not very nice. Then they asked me, hey, Tyler, come on in here. We're giving this dog a blood transfusion. Can you hold it down? Turns out, didn't know this before, I pass out when that happens. So I'm like holding the dog, I'm like falling, right? And then on top of that, I'm 16. I don't realize you're gonna work eight hours. You should bring a snack or something. So the whole time I'm starving, and you know what I did? I totally was that person who stole other people's lunch. I go in the refrigerator, take a bite, put it back and go back. Like I just, I didn't know what was happening. So this is my job, okay? It is miserable. I go to my dad, dad, for the love, let me quit. He would say, how are you, are you gonna make money? I said, I don't know, I'll go back to work. So that, that was kind of our conversation. The best part of my job was walking the dogs. The absolute best part. It was just fresh air and just freedom. I just wanted, sometimes I just wanna walk and just keep walking and see what happens, right? That's where I was at in life. Um, maybe get a cig and just walk a direction, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't smoke a cigarette. But, um, but here's the thing. I remember there was one time in particular I had a German shepherd and a chow. And we use these kind of basic leashes you're supposed to use. And the owner of the German Shepherd asked us, can you use my leash? I was like, sure, we can use your leash. So we're walking around. We get to the back of the veterinarian clinic. And I pull on the German Shepherd and his leash breaks. It happens and it kind of freezes. And the dog's like, I'm free. And I was like, you're free. What do I do? And so I go to lunge for this dog's collar. He runs to the front of the building. And I'm thinking, I'm losing a dog. But then I realize in all the commotion, I let go of the leash of the other dog too. So I'm like, oh, now there's two dogs missing. And so I see the chow, and the chow is very nervously and skittishly just staring at me. And me and the chow had, had some interactions previous that week that wasn't very positive. And so um, he, he probably recognizes me as, like, oh, I know who you are. I'm like, I know who I am. Let's, let's make up. So I'm thinking, here's this chow sitting there. There is a four-lane highway right next to the veterinarian clinic. And I'm thinking, it's okay, guys. I'm, I'm thinking, happy ending. I, I'm thinking, if this dog, what's gonna happen? And so I lunge for its collar. It sprints a car, uh, across the, the, it's like rush hour. Two cars miss it, I mean by this much. So I'm, I can still vividly remember, I was sitting there looking across the road, and in the uh, supermarket parking lot, there's the dog just running. I'm like, there it goes. And I'm like, oh, wait, I lost another dog I have to go find. So I run back into the veterinarian clinic. They Thank God they'd found the German shepherd. And they go, what did you do? I was like, the leash broke. I don't know what's gonna happen. So the boss comes in, she's yelling at me. So she tells me, you go out there and you find that dog. Yes, ma'am. She calls my dad. Called my dad. He's, he's a detective for the police department. He leaves his job. Um, I was like, dad, bad guys are okay. Come find this dog with me. Uh, use your detective skills. And so we go through the neighborhood for three hours, find no dog. And then a week later, they found that dog. I think I just gave that dog the stink eye for the next week. I just hated every second of it. And as you can imagine, after that, my employment mutually parted ways. Um, it was very mutual. And th there was a moment where it was, I was like, work is the worst. 
And it's just this moment of like, what? yeah, there's some great purpose in this. Nope, no purpose, just walking with dogs. Like, like, that's all it is for me. And that's what work feels like so often, doesn't it? Where you can hear like me talking about God's purpose in it, and you're like, if you, do you want me to tell you about my job right now? Like some of you are in jobs like that right now. Some of you have been in jobs like that where nothing about it feels purposeful. Things fall apart, relationships are strained. And work, if you're honest, feels more like a result of sin than something God created us for because the fall ruined work. And so when God sends Jesus to us, one of the things that we don't really understand because we're very individualistic, we think him coming and dying for me and he did that. But he also came to be something for us that we don't think about is to be a new kind of Adam. He came to be for us a new kind of Adam and to do what Adam and honestly humanity had failed to do, was, which is what? Image God perfectly. You were made, I was made to image God perfectly and we fail constantly, but here comes Jesus to be this new Adam to do what? Image God perfectly. Colossians 1.15 says, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. The idea is you want to see what God is like. You want to know what he's like. Look at Jesus. He reflects him perfectly. And so when Jesus comes to be the new image bearer for us, he's going to restore all that we lost in the garden. Listen, including work, including work. It is so interesting to me that just like Adam, Jesus was given a job to do. And Jesus' first job was not a preacher, it was not a pastor, it was as a blue-collar worker. So we don't know much about his job before he was preaching, but there are two mentions in the Gospels where, uh, and honestly, both the mentions of his job are by his enemies. They're, They're trying to mock Jesus and the idea that he could ever be this Messiah, this prophet, people were saying he was. Mark 6, 3. His enemies are speaking to him, especially his hometown, they're saying, is not this, and he says, the carpenter? The son of Mary, brother of James? That word, the carpenter in the Greek, listen, it can, the word means builder. So it could be carpenter or the other people may think he was a mason of some sort, but here's the point. Before he started preaching, Jesus spends almost two decades working a regular job. Isn't it crazy to think about Jesus just working a regular job? He's the God of the universe here to save humanity, give eternal life, destroy Satan and all of his lies and schemes. And what does he do first? He works a job. He works an ordinary job in an ordinary town with ordinary people. Isn't it fascinating? He worked for maybe 15 or so years and no one noticed that God was making the table they just bought from him. Isn't that fascinating? You're like, hey, Jesus, this table's kind of wonky. Like, he's like, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) It's exactly what you need. I know. Um, They're like, that was weird. Um, Anyways, uh, this is fascinating to me. Now, here's the thing. He's working this job. Here's my question. Do you think Jesus wasn't called to that job? Do you think he wasn't called to that job? Do you think that job was some, some sign of God's small plans or small love for Jesus? Of course not. His first job is a testimony that working is part of what it means to be human. Working is is part of what it means to be human. Also, listen, we were made to work in the mundane, ordinary rhythms of life. 
You were made to work in the mundane, ordinary rhythms of life. God cares about that. So much so that when he incarnated himself to us, he did the same thing. So Jesus having this job for this period of time, here's what it teaches us. It teaches us that work in itself, I want you to hear this, is noble. Jobs and working is noble. It's really important to highlight this because I think what happens in the church is we only see work as valuable as it leads to evangelism. We tend to only see work as valuable if it leads to evangelism, that it's only as good and beneficial as you're able to use work as a way to talk to others about Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. It's fascinating that God has placed you where he's placed you with the people around you purposely. In in your job, where you spend so much of your time, the people that you're around, God has placed you there to serve them, love them, and in overt and in subtle ways, tell them about how Jesus has changed your life. I don't want to downplay that. I want you to know it would be a weird thing if you were working with people for five years and on the fifth year they were like, oh, you're married? Like, yeah, I've been married for like 10 years. Like, really? You haven't mentioned your spouse one time? Nope. Like, that seems uh, not good. Um, but isn't it also bizarre to go, oh, you're a Christian? You've been a Christian this whole time? Yep, totally. Never talked about it. Never came up once. Like, that, that would also be bizarre. So I don't want to act like it's not a good thing Right now, we actually have, just so you guys know, we have dozens of workplace Bible studies um, happening all over the city. Actually, it's pretty incredible what God is using them to do, if you're interested in that. Uh, Steve Tang, Steve at Austin Stone, he loves emails. Steve at AustinStone.org would love to get one from you. Um, But work is used for evangelism, but listen, the way in which you do your job in itself is worship. I really want you to know that because it'll only feel like it has purpose and meaning when you're evangelizing, but what about the days where that doesn't happen? What about the days you come in and you just crank admin stuff all day and, you're not re- and you look back and you're like, what did I even accomplish today? Or the meeting days, oh, the meeting days, where you're just like, I just talked and talked about nonsense for eight hours. Those days, the way in which we do our jobs is worship. It's part of what it means to be human. Your job is not in the way of the will of God in your life. Your job is part of the will of God in your life. It's not in the way to more spiritual things. Your job is the spiritual thing. Your job doesn't only have value when you talk to others about God. It has value in the way you're diligent. It has values in the way that you're faithful. It has value in the ways that you're kind to other people. It has value in the ways that you're excellent at what you do. It also has value when you're honest and can admit your mistakes when you can own up to your shortcomings, when you're late to a meeting just saying, I'm late, I'm sorry, not I'm late because you planned the meeting at the wrong time kind of idea. Part of your godliness is your faithfulness to the job God has given you. So work is noble. Don't demonize it like it's the problem. It's not the problem, it's a good thing. But Jesus also models, so it's noble, but on the other side of it, he also models for us that as noble as work is, and it is, who you are is bigger than your job. Who you are is bigger than your job. You were made to work, yes, but you were not made to find ultimate meaning and purpose and identity from it. It does give those things in some measure, but ultimate meaning and identity, you're made to get it from God. Think about this. Do you think Jesus was more gifted than his first job? 
Like, do you think he's like, you guys are holding me back? He was more gifted than his first job. Do you think Jesus could have been used for bigger and better things than that job? Of course he could have. Of course he could have. But if that's the case, if he's being held back, so to speak, by his job, why wasn't he despondent about it? Why wasn't he discontent or angry at God for not letting him live into his full potential? Because he found his identity in God, not his job. He found his identity in God, not his job. His job didn't tell him what he was worth. His job didn't tell him who he was and what his future would be. God did. So many of us are buying the lie that your job can give you everything you're looking for. That you can find ultimate meaning and purpose and worth can be found there. And listen, this is especially true when you're younger. When you're younger and your career's out in front of you, you can imagine what it would be like to ascend the ladder. But this is why older people who are in their professions, this is why there's a thing called midlife crisis. It's very complicated, but part of the reason is to hit this this place where you realize, I'm probably gonna be working in a similar place. There's not a whole lot of change that's gonna happen. I kind of am who I am. And dealing with the limitations of that makes you realize work can't be everything for me. But when you're younger, you don't see that yet. And so when work moves from something you do and ways you serve into who you are, listen to me, your joy is gonna be very fragile. When work moves from just something you do and ways you serve other people into this is who I am, your joy is going to be very fragile. This has been such a fresh lesson for me in particular. I love my job. I love my job. I love getting to be a part of this church. I love getting to be a, I love it. And I'm fairly driven to be as good as I possibly can be at it. But here's what's happened. Far too often, I have let my vocation Tell me who I am in ways only God can. I've let my performance and my achievements and my place in the world replace God's voice. Can you relate to that? Where your coworkers and your status and what you make and your title, it begins to tell you that's my value when only God should be telling you that. And here's what happens if you do that you're gonna find that work is a terrible master. Work is a terrible master. Because here's what happens, the pressures of work are already there. Like work is made to be pressurized, that's the nature of what it is. But when it's who you are, those pressures go from difficult to debilitating. Because now if I don't perform, then who am I? Your employees or your coworkers, when your job is who you are, They're not people to serve, they're threats to control. If your job is who you are, then setbacks and failures, being overlooked, they're not just growing pains of what it means to grow as a person, they're soul-crushing declarations of your own inadequacy. And when work is your master, you can't rest. You can't break from it. You can't turn off email, why? Because who would you be without it? It's a terrible master. And listen, the problem isn't work. The problem is you. The problem is me. Because when you make something that's not God, God in your life, it will fail you because it doesn't love you the way God does. It's too needy. It's too dependent upon you. God isn't needy. He's not dependent upon you. 
The solution, listen, is not to change your job all the time. Some of you have changed jobs so many times and you wonder why you're so discontent because the job is not the problem. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't change jobs. Don't get self-righteous or legalistic about it. But it does mean know where the source of the issue is. The solution is not just to change your circumstances hoping if I change my circumstances, then I'll be different. The solution is to confess to God that only he can give you the meaning and purpose and identity you're after. Because Jesus would eventually, he would transition out of that job and he'd become a preacher and a healer and he'd head to the cross. And the cross is the most difficult work in history. It's the most difficult, most underappreciated, low-paying, low-status, destructive job that anyone has ever taken. The cross makes your most busy, dreadful season of work look like nothing. And it was in his death and resurrection, Jesus was giving you something When he died and rose again, he wasn't just doing it historically, he was doing it for you, for me, to give us something that work couldn't take away and that work couldn't compete with. There's a text in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, that speaks about, here's what God gave to you in Christ. It has everything to do with our work. He says, if then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. God has set you free in Christ in such a way that you don't have to look to your job for what only he can give you. Now look at that text. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. It's not diminishing your career. It's not diminishing your job. It's putting it in its proper place. It is important. It's something God's called you to do, but it's not where your hope is, where your life is. Look back at verse three. We, we guys put verse three up there. It says, for you have died. He says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, what does that mean? Because I'm alive right now. What do you mean my life is hidden? When he says life, it means something deeper than just your existence right now. He means Meaning. He means purpose. He means a future. He's saying all of those things, they don't reside in your job. They reside with Christ, with God. Verse four, it says, when Christ who is your life, your meaning, your purpose, your identity, when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So if you want power, you want security, you want control, you want approval, you want life, good. You're made for those things, but not in your job. It'll fail you. They're made to be given to you all in Christ. So in your job, before you try to change circumstances, look to him. So do you feel underpaid or overlooked or underappreciated in your job? Jesus knows a thing or two about that. Jesus is the most underpaid, underappreciated worker, and yet what has God given him? A glory that's matched by no other. Do you work in a toxic work environment? Does it feel unjust and not fair? Look to Jesus. He knows what it's like to to suffer unjustly, something he didn't do, and yet what has God done? Resurrected him in perfection. Do you feel like you cannot go to work another day? Look to Jesus, who felt the same way in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wondered, how could I go on? And yet through prayer, what did God do? He gave him strength to endure to the end. When you lack joy in your job, when you lack service in your job, sure, it may be a job issue, but go first to the gospel. 
Go first to who Jesus is, run to God, and let whatever God says about me is the most true thing about me. If you believe that, your joy would increase exponentially. Whatever God says about you, not what your boss says, not what your coworkers say, not what prophets say, not what your title says, but whatever God says about you is what is most true about you. See, the gospel gives us strength to work well when no one else can because we have a master and an inheritance that no one else has. An often quoted verse in Colossians 3, 23 is this. It's built off what I just read to you, that your life is hidden with Christ and God. In light of that, Paul says, when it comes to your work, whatever you do, whatever your job, work heartily from the heart. As for the Lord and not for men, and not for people, but for God, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving, in your job, you are serving the Lord Christ. That's who you're serving. Not some identity that someone promises they can give to you, no one may have ever said it, but you really feel it or think it, but you serve him. So I wanna close our time by coming back to that idea of calling. Where is God calling you to work? Where is he? Now, if you're thinking, well, what does it mean to be called? Don't just think, I have a moment and the heavens part and it just says, Google or whatever. I don't know. Pick, pick, pick a company. They, they probably could do that. I don't know. They're geniuses. If the clouds part today, run. Um, <laughs> Google's taking over or Jesus is coming back. One of the two. Um, let me give you three, just real quick before we go. Three ways to think about calling. This is a, we th- this, we've stolen this from all sorts of old leaders and preachers and theologians. It's really helpful. It's this, desire, ability, opportunity. Desire, ability, opportunity. God is in control of the world, and so he orchestrates these things together. So question, what do you want to do? Not what will give me the most amount of money and most amount of status. Wrong question. What do you want to do? Second, what are you gifted to do? Those are two different things. And what opportunities do you have? Desire, ability, opportunity. And listen, you can't know these answers on your own. You need a community of people to help you do this. You may not know the answers to those questions, desire, ability, opportunity, but I want you to know, as a, if you're a Christian, as a child of God, you have the freedom to dream and be honest. You can be honest about the things that you wanna do, even if it doesn't feel that spiritual at first. You can be honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at because your gifts don't define you. One of the hardest things about life is realizing you're not gifted in the ways that you want to be. You have a desire to be this and God hasn't given you the gifts for this and normally the things you're you're really good at, you're like, that doesn't matter, no one cares about that. What are you gifted to do? And what are the opportunities? You can trust God's sovereignty and know that whatever opportunities he gives to you, listen, even if the opportunities he gives to you are not the ones that you want, it's exactly what you need. So as you think through calling and where God has placed you, listen, there will be seasons when the answers to these questions don't line up. I don't want you to have this constant pressure of I have to find my dream job all the time. The the reason dream jobs are are rare because they don't happen that often. And oftentimes in your job, you'll have maybe one or two, but rarely all three of those things line up. Sometimes desire and ability and opportunity line up perfectly, but other times they don't. 
And regardless of where you fall in that, regardless of where your job is right now, I want you to know you're in the profession you're in, no matter what the world says about that profession, which is incredible about the Christian faith, is it honors and brings nobility to every profession, regardless of class. We tend to think white collar work is most important, but not God. Jesus came as a mason, as a carpenter. So wherever you're at, I want you to know you're there primarily not to get an identity, but to serve other people. You're there primarily not to find ultimate meaning, but to love other people and to contribute to the world. That's what you're made to do. So I want you to fight for joy in service because you're trying to replicate how God works. And that whatever job you're in, please do not let society tell you that's your value. It's not. Just because you're a CEO or you're a temp, that doesn't tell you who you are. It doesn't tell you your value. It just tells you what job you have. And that's a, that job, no matter what it is, is a gift and a call in your life. And that's the beauty and the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it sets us apart is that no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter the job, we have access to joy and power because of him. That's what's unique about us. Not that we always succeed. Not that if you just honor God, you'll get every promotion you ever wanted. It's not the hope. The hope is who you are in Christ is bigger than your job, is bigger than your outcomes. That you can have power and joy when all is taken away, power to hope when all seems lost, power to heal when all seems broken, That's what the gospel does, it changes everything. And God has set you apart to bask in his love and to show the world around you through the way that you work what the way home to God is like. Let's pray together. Father, the text that we've read and the truths that we've considered God, they really make following you tangible because we have people in mind, space in mind, things we do. God, some of us feel so devalued because of our job, and God, it's just not true. God, some of us feel so overlooked and unloved, and we think that because we keep looking to our job to be that for us, and people aren't giving it to us. Society doesn't recognize our jobs as worthwhile, and so we feel downtrodden and overlooked, and yet, God, here you are looking and saying, that's not who you are. Your life is not hidden in promotion, it's hidden in Christ. It's not hidden in popularity, it's hidden in Christ, and he's in heaven with God, and nothing can touch that. So, God, even now, would you lift up the spirits of men and women in this room who feel despondent because of their work? God, right now, would you set men and women free who feel like they need to wait for some powerful moment of calling to decide on what job they should take? God, would you help them be in community and have wisdom to know what to do? And for those of us in this room, God, who love our jobs, God, would you help us do it in serving other people? Would would we be different in the excellence we create? Would, Would we be different in the way that we love? Would we be different in that we are more kind than anybody else? that we're the biggest cheerleader of other people's success because we're not competing with them, God. This isn't our inheritance, you are. God, make us the kind of people who are set apart in the gospel to know what it means to work in such a way towards you and for you and not for this world. God, thank you for the gift to work. Thank you that we get to build and create and accomplish 
But God, when it fails us, when we fail, when we don't succeed in the ways that we want, God, help us to be a people who goes back again and again to you. God, thank you that you care about even things like work, that you expand what it means to be spiritual, what it means to follow you. God, even now, could you give new ambitions to people in this room and how they could be used by you in their job? God, thank you for all the callings you've placed in this church. Help us be faithful to them. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, church, let's stand. Let's sing together.